Hello again, wonderful people of the internet. Welcome back to the Quantum Podcast with myself, Ethan Morland, where I aim to speak to high performers about the hows and the whys behind what they do and break it down with them. So I hope you enjoyed part one with Graham Tuttle. Now, part two is as good in my opinion as we talk about many things. We talk about programming, why you should program with intention and why it's okay to explore movement even though we have, you know, these set strategic programs, it's okay sometimes to veer off from them, explore the movement. We talk about being present and why being fully present is beneficial to everyone and why it can enhance all sorts of parts of your life. We talk about what the perks have been for Graham of building a platform and this is what I found interesting because to be honest, it wasn't an answer that I thought I was going to get. It was much more much more realistic to be honest um i don't i don't really know what i thought i was going to get from that but to be honest, yeah it was just a much more realistic answer and the the whole conversation's great so if you enjoyed part one i think you're going to enjoy part two so make sure to if you haven't checked out part one to go back and check it out and also like and subscribe share the podcast with anyone who may be interested recent weeks we've had a massive growth in terms of following and listeners so i really appreciate that and i hope you're all enjoying so if you want to give me feedback, please do, because I will accept any feedback from anyone, no, how, no matter how big or small. So yeah, just enjoy the episode and remember to like, subscribe, share the podcast with whoever may be interested. Thank you. Yeah, the what, what you said there about pain, you know, it is important to feel pain. It's like you said with the medication, it's like some doctors will go, so say, for example, when you have surgery, some doctors will say, take this medication and you go, well, I'm not in pain. And they go, well, it's a precautionary measure just in case. It's like, well, so you want me to mask any pain that I may feel and continue to do so. So then I'm completely unaware of what my body's going through. We need an awareness of what's happening within us. Otherwise we will eventually lose that ability to become aware of it. And we, our idea of pain is completely mismatched from what reality is. There's so many examples now where doctors are given out to, you know, say orthotics too early like you said we'll mm-hmm. deal with it later why why deal yeah. with it later why not deal with it now it's important to deal with now because i've come to you with the issue if you just give me an orthotic it's just masking something that will eventually come up again later but next time i may not realize it because i've altered the way i walk yeah. because of this and orthotic. then you end up in the it's just or it's then you end really up with the acute pain of like oh i ignored this thing for long enough that oh guess what you just Tore an Achilles tendon, or you have, you know, like you get a broken, any number of things. You strain a calf, you have a hamstring pull. Like, you know, in hindsight, it would have been it's very simple, like changing the problem from the very first conversation, but it's not. And then people continue. This is where you get the overuse pains, and then proceeds the acute injury. And it's like it doesn't have to be that way, you know. So you said you said before as well, just to move on to training that you don't necessarily train with intention. It's more about exploring movement and ability. So do you not, so obviously you might do a little bit, but do you program your training yourself? And if so, how much of that training is programmed and how much of it is free to explore movement? Like I'll say it, like, I think at this point, there's still intention to it, uh, uh, but it's, it's more of, I have performance goals as opposed to, aesthetic goals in a sense so like I, you get to a point and i think it's roundabout where you can bench one and a half you can bench one and a half times your body weight clean one and a half times your body weight you can deadlift two times your body weight and squat 
you know, two times price, somewhere in there, like some, you could, somewhere in that rough area. So it's relative to what you're doing. The point at which if I could go from deadlifting twice my body weight to deadlifting three times my body weight, like would it make an impact in my ability to run, jump, or do jujitsu? You play volleyball, juggle, any of these things? Like maybe, but is the cost benefit of the thing I would have to do to get to that point worth it in a sense? And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of stuff. Everything requires when people look at traditional training, they mean like I am embracing a loss of a greater capacity for the in the uh, pursuit of a short-term thing. That's true with uh, conditioning. If I go really, really hard on conditioning training, meaning I'm working on intervals, I'm like going for it, like you're going to be smoked when it comes to like the just the volume you have to put your body through. Like if I'm doing four by 800, eight by 400, you know, 16 by 200, you're just going through this kind of like, you're doing a lot of stuff and you're really pushing. It's like, that's going to take a lot of time to recover from it. Same with the thing with like stretching. It's like anything, like same thing as weight loss or weight gain. It's like, there is some aspect of what you have to do to increase this component that takes away from your ability to perform as a whole. And that's fine in short term. That's where people look at it and they think, oh, I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to pour a little more muscle. I'm going to go and do this stuff. It's like, okay, absolutely. Like you're going to go do this stuff. And at some point you start to say, okay, in order to get this amount stronger, you know, does, because you understand like if I get stronger, if I get bigger, if I get faster, get more in shape, whatever, general physical preparedness level, you know, that's going to improve my overall capacity and build up this lagging thing. So that's what most people think of when they consider training. And then at a certain point you get to like, okay, I could go and try to get my squat you know, it's probably like a maybe 360, 365 pounds. I don't know what that is in kilos, like a 180 or something like that, 160. I could try to, yeah, I could try to get it back up to 180, that 400, I got 435. I could, it's like, okay, then what? You know, it's like, what for? And I think that's where, it's what I said at the beginning, and kind of come back to this, is like, what is the point of the physical pursuit you're doing? Because at some point, I still can't squat 2,000 pounds. And, you know, it's like, I'm not, like, even if I try to be the strongest person in the world, okay, I'm the strongest person in the world for what? And so this is hard because you kind of have to balance the nihilism of like, well, for what? It's like, you have your own reasons, your own, your own pursuits. But I do think that, all right, let me say this. I, I, I perceive life to happen in three phases. I think there's a potential phase. I think there's a responsibility or, or obligation phase. And I think there's a legacy phase. So it's not that these are like, you know, mutually exclusive phases, I think they fade in and out of one. But I do think of the first 30 years of your life as the time where you are really able to solely pursue some type of meaningful outcome. And so this is just by that, I mean, you figure out something's interesting to you and you do it and you head in that direction. And I'm not saying that you're going to come up with the world changing invention or do the thing at that point, because a lot of those inventions don't happen to your 30s, 40s, 50s. But the, the skills of learning to listen to pain, listen to discomfort, continue to interact with that as a guiding force happen mostly in that point. And then at some point, the natural phase of life is you start to add in responsibility. There's a romantic partnership. There's kids. There's a job. And potentially in that job, you start to you know, become higher. Maybe you start your own business. Maybe you, you, know, you write your own book. You pursue things or you're managing people. Like there's just more responsibility that takes on. And the responsibility... It's not that you're less capable to pursue potential. And by potential, I mean just the thing that interests you. The, the easy example would be like playing a sport as an athlete, being a musician, uh, making art, uh, writing a book, 
doing a research study, whatever it is. Like, you know, there's not that you can't do that anymore. It's just that your time becomes more constrained as you have other things that you are obligated to because of the things you signed up for. And so those become part of what whittles down your potential, your effort of developing your potential, like you could say manifesting if you want to use a broad term. The responsibilities you have whittle down the time you have. You have to put the essence of your effort in more effectively. And so it just means that you don't necessarily have as much time to mess around and spend 12 hours thinking about something and write and figure out, like, go down, look on this path and just see what happens. It's like, you know, and, and you go through these things and I, you know, I think that you kind of determines your interests, your pursuits, what you end up doing in your life, you know, your role in terms of like raising a kid or like stuff like that. There's a lot of little, there's, there's nuanced factors, but in large part, the next third of your life, there's like, you know, ish 30 ish to 60 ish is spent in obligation. And then you really go through that. And then you can go through periods where you learn stuff, but then you kind of pop out on the other side of this thing and you're like, all right, what's the legacy? And you look back and you kind of reflect on things. You distill the principles of what you picked up. And that's where people really spend time writing books and like doing this stuff because they've tested the thing they learned, which is this process of, okay, and, and to take go back to your example, like, okay, let's say I want to get stronger. In the process of learning to squat, there's there's a point of diminishing returns, which I think happens around this like two times body weight. But let's just say for people like that are truly obsessed, want to go and like I want to do three times, I want to do four times. Like the people that are world class at anything, world class, there's almost a synonymous. I am obsessed with this thing, whether it's making music, writing books, creating papers, whatever it is. I'm obsessed with this thing. So the process of being obsessed with that, those are the people who push past the point of diminishing returns. Past the, they're the people that go the twenty percent to get you eighty percent of returns. They are the ones that keep putting the eighty percent in to get the twenty percent. So they just keep going. They're whittling down. They're just focused and they're constantly looking, getting better and better. And at some point, the process of that is testing an idea. And you look at this like the idea marketplace. If we could all, we all have some unique thing that's interesting to us, and to a different degree, we're interested to go pursue that in so far as it pulls our interest. And so. For people who are able to combine an obsession with an interest, they're testing it out. We're watching David Goggins run. We're watching the guys that are going to go pick up the strongest weight in the world. We're watching the top athletes. We're watching the best musicians. That's why we are paying attention because we're watching the people who are obsessed with this thing enough to like, wow, this is what it's like. And so we're literally voyeuristic looking into what happens if I try this thing? And we're all trying to figure out, is this the way to be? Will this give me meaning in some type of like, you know, connection in some sense? But it's an inspiration. There's a lot of different things. It's not just about meaning purposes and inspiration. There's encouragement to do my own thing. There's an example of like, oh, this is what it would look like. These are the sacrifices. This is what they have to eat. This is why people really care, but they get like geeked out of this stuff. And so the point is that at the end of this, like you have to, even those people still have to, sometimes they put off the responsibility. They don't want to have a family, don't have kids. They, you know, they, they shirk all those responsibilities. They have broken relationships. That happens a lot too, but they, they really have to test this, this thing that they've learned. But the point is that you are taking this thing, this squat, this bench to its rational end for you. Like I have my own obsessions. They just don't happen to be with squatting there about writing and understanding pain and like coaching and do this, like there's this, like becoming an athlete, but really like just really deep down, like understanding what the human body is. I've got my obsessions, the obsessions that I continue to work on. And in so much that I pursue that, I am able to glean principles because the ability to sit with discomfort, voluntarily sit with discomfort allows you to go into a space that's a little bit that no one else has been. Think of it like deep sea diving uh, without a tank in a sense. Like I'm going to go down and before people had like air tanks and stuff, I'm going to go, if I can hold my breath 10 seconds longer than you, I'm going to learn something no one else has ever learned. If I can get in the ice for 20 seconds longer than you, I'm going to learn something no one else has learned. 
And so the people who do that, they accrue knowledge. And that's the point of the physical thing to begin with. It's not to be able to squat 500 pounds. It's about to learn the experience of what it's like to get into rarefied territory. You're, you're breathing air no one else has breathed. And so from the peak of that mountain, you shift your vogue focus back in the legacy phase and share that. But part of this is saying, like, when you're in this thing, it's like, you know, if I were a professional athlete and that was my, like, if my obsession was jujitsu, I'd be spending a whole lot more time there. If my obsession was, like, I want to be a best sprinter in the world, like, these things, it's not that you can't take the lesson and get pretty good. Like, that's the thing is I learned the lesson of, like, being average and trying to, like, there's there's something I don't have, I don't have a codification for it yet. But you were able to take a principle, a framework, a blueprint for how to get better at, like, let's say, squatting. And I can apply that to stuff. So I can get fairly competent in a bunch of stuff, which I'm fairly confident in a bunch of stuff, but I'm not good at, or I'm not great at any of it. So I can pick up jujitsu. I can pick up sprinting. I can pick up, I can pick up all these things, juggling, riding, whatever, like these things. And it's like, huh, okay, that's interesting because now I can sort of get competent and then you can have fun and you can play. But underlying that is like, you know, what does your training look like? Well, my training is the thing that enables me to play and explore and the things I'm just obsessively interested about. I think that's where we summarize that whole thing, which probably makes no sense. But summarize, I think that's where we then put a value judgment on everyone needs to be in the gym. Everyone needs to work out. It's like, well, no, people that are interested in working up, everyone needs to be healthy. But like being healthy and being in the gym are not synonymous. And so the people who are obsessed with looking a certain way, pushing their body to a certain uh, strength, you know, like being able to do a certain thing. Yeah, you need to get in here, but that needs to be play. Whatever it is you're obsessed about, you need to afford yourself the opportunity to play with that thing. And, you know, everyone has an obligation to be healthy because the amount of health you have is proportional to the amount of energy you can put into the thing that you're interested in. So if you're not healthy, you can't be interested in anything because you have no energy to put something towards it. But to the extent for someone like you, if you are obsessed with you want to go and train and work and be an athlete, then like you need to be doing the things that those athletes will be doing, meaning like playing in the gym. But right now, like I go and I play in proportion to the thing that I'm interested in, which is like, how do I make this body work to be athletic? And how do I get this? And like, that's why I'm constantly looking at modalities, constantly trying to figure these things out. And I look back, I'm like, all right, this is what I'm doing. But that's why you look at my training. It's very all over the place. I'm not just doing... You know, we got five by five squat today. We're going to get after it. You know, this is, we're doing 48.9% in the first one, 52 point. Like, I don't care. I don't care. Like, I just don't care anymore. And like, that's not a slight against the value of that, but it means that my level of like, after playing and exploring with this, whatever this thing is, and it's really thinking about the human condition is it's more than just the physical, but you use the body as a tool that manifests a pathway for you to explore this thing that you are inherently interested in. And that's the process. So my obsession after having then spent 20, 30 years, as I can start to shift more into, you know, I've got a few years before like have kids and all this stuff, but like, well, at least for me, uh, as I shift more into the responsibility, I have to test these things that I've learned. You know, I'm really in this peak, like exploratory phase. Let's just like, just see what happens. And that is not what you should be doing if you're getting starting off. Like that's not, you're like, all right, I'm going to put on 20 pounds of fat or muscle. It's like, it ain't going to happen by doing this. And I think that's the hardest part with what Disney doesn't get uh, portrayed on social media these days. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, a massive thing I think is a lot of people during the, this exploratory phase, this first phase is like you mentioned with discomfort is they get to a level of discomfort and don't yep. push past it. Whereas I, like I spoke to an ultra runner uh, a few months ago and he said 
in his first ever 50k ultra he learned more in those in that last 5k yeah. than he'd ever done before about himself because he's pushed past he's pushed into the discomfort where your body's where his body's screaming at him like stop just quit you need to just stop and he's obviously it's that mental battle then but there's not enough people now who are willing to push past that boundary they're happy to just sit and watch tv and not learn and not progress the it's and that's fine if that's what you want to do but some you see a lot of people now where they start they're like oh I want to do this, I want to do that. Yeah. It's like, well, it's fine. Just, just go do it. But then it's yeah. that thing well, of discomfort. It's fine in so much as it doesn't cause you pain. And this is where you start to look at this disconnect where you have anxiety, everyone's on pills, overweight, they're unhealthy, they've got autoimmune diseases. Like they Then they go to the professional like you and they want someone that's going to give them a broad perspective on like, hey, you know, like this is the context, this is what I'm seeing. This is the hard truth of like, you know what? If you're sitting on TV, you're not doing anything, you have no purpose or meaning in your life, of course you're going to be in pain. They go, well, I think you're depressed. Here's an anti-anxiety pill. And there you go. Or do nothing. They do nothing or numb. It's like it's either abdicate everything, basically go ahead and prematurely die, which is the essence of doing nothing, um, or numb it. And that's where they get. And then no one is ever – and that's really, really – I'm obsessed about now is like, you know, looking back, it's like you don't need to tell someone what to do. You just need to like not inhibit their pathway, meaning – encourage someone to just say, Hey, whatever you think is interesting, go do that thing. Totally fine. You know, so long as it doesn't come with the cost of other people, but you know, that what you, what you get, and this goes back to the question you had about orthotics. And it's like the orthotics, the greatest problem with orthotics is they block feedback. And this is, you look across the board with like being able to use a credit card to get an exorbitant debt, being able to take out a mortgage on a house you can never afford, being able to wear a shoe that doesn't let you feel the ground, being able to eat fake food with, fake calories and artificial sweetener that you can't actually feel like the, the thing being able to take caffeine to wake you up when you're not sleeping and sleeping pills to make you go to bed. Like everything that, and I'm not saying that these things don't have value, but like everything that blocks feedback blocks consequence. And we don't have consequence. We don't learn. And we don't learn. We never grow. And then the thing is you're talking to this guy who's an ultra marathon guy. And it's like, you know, it's there, there are, there are circles and levels of this stuff. Like the level of discomfort he had to go through at that last 5k was an piece of like really challenging internal work for him but he only got that after multiple iterations of like being able to go and walk being able to like do this stuff and eventually it's like people go and they think oh every single time you go through this you call it confidence cycle or like a, a challenge iteration so to speak it's always new this is and this is something that's called a saint george and retirement syndrome so saint george is this uh, mythical it's not mythical i think it's a real person but like you hear different religions, different contexts, different cultures tell stories about it. But basically it's the, the quintessential archetype of like this hero, this knight uh, is traveling around and there's this dragon that's terrorizing a town and it's eating other sheep. Eventually they start to have to sacrifice children. The king's daughter is up next to be sacrificed. So he calls out and St. George comes by, slays a dragon, everything is great. Um, and he does some noble act, like give away all the money just to say like, it's so good. So he gets enshrined as like a, a, you know, a saint. That's why he's St. George. And so there's the continuation of the story, which is like an add-on afterwards because this guy is, you know, superhero. But and you can imagine Saint George running around. He, you know, he he loves this. Like, oh, I've got a set of tools. I can do this good stuff. So he goes and finds another dragon, and he goes to another dragon. He slays it, and he slays it. And eventually, it's like you start to run out of big dragons, and you start to get smaller and smaller. But because he, he keeps trying to be a hammer in search of a nail or a solution in search of a problem, 
instead of looking for the next thing and embracing the next discomfort and the beginner's mindset required to do that, people get stuck. It's like, oh, eventually you could just imagine St. George swinging his sword at mere pests. Like, that's all he's got. It's like, oh, there's a squirrel. I'm going to kill that. It's like, what happens is even though like every single round of this thing from the outside, this ultra ultra runner would look like, you know, oh, he's just doing the same thing. He's just running, but it's a little bit harder. Like, no, there's a whole level of internal mental struggle, discomfort, even though it looks from the outside, every single time we go through this cycle, it feels uniquely icky and discomfort or uncomfortable. And that's the process of growth, which is that first, you know, I always used to think I learned to pick up, you know, whatever, 60 kilos. It's like, oh, it feels heavy when you're young. It's like, but I can, when I'm strong enough to pick up 315, this will feel so light. It always feels the same. It always feels the same. 315 just feels like a level of different discomfort. It's kind of like every single step, even though going from 60 kilos to 100 kilos to 140, 280 to 220, they all seem like you're in the same discipline. There is an individual, unique convert, like challenge that feels uniquely uncertain and uncomfortable and anxious on the inside. And so every single time you go through that, but that's the thing is people stop doing that. They stop growing because they don't want to say, oh, I don't want to begin again. I don't want to like have to go back and rebuild a foundation. The way you go from squatting 180 to 200 kilos might have nothing to do with squatting more. It might have everything to do with backing off all the weight and getting like a, like building out some asymmetry and learning to like fire your core, but I don't, whatever you want to, how you want to say it. But like, that's what I'm fascinated by is like, how do you step back and go this, this competing questions of like, what's, what am I capable of? What's possible here? And what does excellence look like? And so you achieve what seem what what intuitively feel like yeah this is a landmark or something that feels good me back what's possible here and to those who are of the utmost level obsessed with a passion and it's like they're there it's like the pain they're suffering from pain of and not doing it like it just comes out of them it's like with squatting you hear them talk about it and every single iteration of it's kind of like well there's a, there's a different challenge at every single level along the way and, you know, like the cinema talk about squatting, squatting a thousand was different than squatting 800. And it's like, you just think, well, it's just doing the same thing, right? It's just squatting under the bar. It's like, no, your brain, this is the crazy thing about lifting, which is, and this is why I, I really like going back to the gym. It's just a, a physical training as a, a good archetype for the, or in a, sorry, analogy for this whole process. But when you squat 60 kilos, your brain perceives it as one movement. When you squat a hundred kilos, your brain perceives it as a different thing altogether it is literally a different movement in your brain and it's not just you would think in the outside we compare it but it's like it is a different you have to learn how to navigate and manage that weight so you know everyone has different breaking points but it's like for those who are willing to even though it's easy to sit there and say that the guy doing the 50k you know like his lesson was different it felt just as challenging and difficult as the guy taking his first steps to try and walk a 5k but it's it is the ability to get back up once you've gotten to this higher level, like there's, there's, you know, different, you become famous. There's all kinds of different stresses that go with that. Like there's all kinds of stuff, but it's always this, will I get up and do it again? Will I get up and do it again? Will I get up and do it again? That's the idea of endurance. I don't think people think about it. Endurance is the ability to continue to show up over multiple, multiple iterations, multiple rounds, not just conditioning training. And conditioning is like, I can just be my body to go do this thing. Endurance is I can continue to show up through multiple with the same vehicle, you know, by saying like I can embrace the same challenge, like the change challenge mindset, the same discomfort across multiple iterations, multiple paradigms. That's that's what really makes someone that that transcends. I think that's the beauty of all of this. So then you get back to like, okay, what's the point of training? What's literally to become your best self? But it's the best, easiest, most transparent, ubiquitous 
a, a on-road point for people to learn that, that there is, period. And I think that's the, that's the value of getting someone to say, hey, go do something physically hard with your hands. Just start there. It be a sport, it could be anything. But we miss the point because then we try to like, we just, we make an identity around it as opposed to saying, no, 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 this is, this is in service of some greater thing and that identity needs to go. So. I like what you said there about, you know, creating, being your best self, so to speak. But I think the one issue at the minute, what people are finding is the way the best self is portrayed on social media is so unreachable for some people that they then just sit there and think, what's the point? They think, what, like, why, why am I starting? Like, so that, you know, they may see someone who's like, you're seeing a lot of it now, these like running challenges, like Ned Brockman ran across Australia in how many days, you know, people doing transcontinental in the U S you've got all sorts going on. So people are then looking at that and they're like, well, my best self isn't that good. So why do I do, why am I trying? Then they just give up. And I think it's hard. It's hard for people. Like you can, you can say, Oh, get off social media and what have you but it's not that easy these days because it's, it's, it's a part of life now so what would you advise for people who may struggle with that aspect of trying to get to their best self you know like taking those first few steps it's tough because this is where you get in this so ultimately the short answer to your question is you have to stop comparing to other people um because when you compare comparison is a thief of joy but you look at this idea like okay well, what what motivates humans? And so this is the idea of mimetic desire. I think Rene Girard is a beautiful thinker on this stuff, but basically the idea is like, we model, we have models of desire. We have people that we look up to that function. This is why you look at the superhero archetype. You look at like religious figures, they model this and that those are later uh, inventions of humanity. But in general, it's like, we are taught to be externally validated as kids. And that's part of that is valuable because like, okay, I don't have time to sit here and tell you you know, the merits of not crossing the road when there's a car coming. It's like, no, no, you listen to me and you did good if you listen to me. And so, you know, you look at that and there's a certain level where that's that's continued when you go to school, you're taught to kind of go through this work week and the, the, you're trained in this thing with the teachers. Someone's going to sit up in the front and tell you in first grade, the second grade, third grade. So like we, we're, we're trained and reiterated this process that like there's nothing to be learned on the inside. So, you know, I think what we're looking at right now is so there's always externalities of everything so um because i i could just sit there and say well don't compare yourself to other people but the reality is most of what we have seen created is based off of a mimetic desire which is i want the thing because there is not equality in the world meaning a an acre of land in the middle of south dakota is not the same as an acre of land on the beach in Southern California, right? Like, you know, those things are different. Not everybody looks the same, acts the same, has the same skill set. So, you know, in some sense, because we have limited perspective, we, we then just tend to judge and say, well, they got this, I didn't get this. We look at fairness on a very short level. And so we kind of, we, we juxtapose it. And we think our, our attention, our locus of attention has been pulled outside of us. And that's natural as a kid, but pardon me, one of the things that we lose is the ability to play. And so there's a few pieces and I'm, I'm, I'm introducing a few different threads to pull them together. So we're externally validated as kids. We have this internal model of desire that is very animalistic in nature, which is I want the thing that they have. 
because I want to feel the way I think they'll feel. Meaning someone that's celebrity or famous, we want to be famous or have a lot of money because it, we, we think that they will feel the same reason I would have been an athlete. The first driver is always this, I want to be this person. I want to be a superhero when I grow up. I want to be, ask kids who want to be more often than not. It's not an occupation, it's a person. And that is something where we model after that because it forms some level of like, they seem like they have the thing that like, they seem cool. They seem like they have attention. They feel, because once we, but this doesn't happen until we start to notice that we are not others. So there's this narcissist, letting go of the narcissism and trying to differentiate ourselves as individuals and say, oh, as a kid, I now am like six or seven or less. I am not like other, I'm not other people. They're different than me. So I can start to see, okay, I'm not like other people. And I'm thinking, and I'm in my head, this is interesting what's going on. Like, what should I do? And you kind of like pick something. Oh, I want to be this person. So we start to like model after what other people until we're taught to do this because that's a very valuable way to kind of keep people socially and organized and ordered. And so we're doing that whole thing. And so it takes effort to break out of that because ultimately it's not that social media has changed the underlying mechanics of humanity. It's just that it's made it, it's, it's made it clear, more clearly available. It's made it harder to be an outlier in a sense because you now are getting the same set of information whereas before there's a lot more time you would have spent alone like that's one of the values i had of running track and cross country and doing uh and swimming and rowing is you just spend a lot of time alone you spend a lot of time thinking by yourself and you just get used to that and so in those times of ideation you have more time to like consider things so the hard part is this is the underlying context people look at and so then because they everyone attends to the same thing they think that the value will be had when they get this. It's a prolonging, this is part of the consumerism trap where it's like, if you get this thing, you'll have salvation, you'll get this process. So we've kind of been told that the answer is out there. So that's part of the process of what I think is valuable now is like, some people just tend to have this like blinder on in a sense of like, oh yeah, like I'm just gonna go do this thing. It's like, why is this? I don't know, it's just because it seemed interesting. And everyone has an interest. The hard part is starting to walk people through this idea that you know f how many times you have to tell people it's like well money's not going to bring you happiness yeah, obviously a certain amount you know the normal disclaimer a certain amount gets you above poverty line gets you food it does make you happy in a sense because it gives you base access to stuff but like you know there's an idea that if i have a billion dollars i'd be happier than if i had a million dollars right and so i think this goes back to a misunderstanding of the word enough people always think they want more than enough but anything that's more than enough becomes a burden and so what you really want is to feel content, to feel satisfied, to feel like there is both, you are accepted and loved for being an individual, but you also have a purpose and a role and some type of adventure, like meaning in your life. And I think, and so that doesn't necessarily have to mean like an absolute truth, meaning like this is exactly what I'm supposed to do, but like just the meaning of like, it just feels right. Like it just goes back to this, I forget who it was, but there's some guy who's a famous runner. I think he's the four minute mile guy, but I should look this up. But he basically, I feel God's smile when I run. Like that's kind of the thing is like when I do something, something just like feels good. And that type of ideation and that type of intuition only happens when you spend enough time by yourself. So I think what we're looking at is the culmination of this external validation with this mimetic desire that focuses you on like achieving something and competing for scarce resources because you're always modeling after a, a set for certain individuals. And there's this idea that like if I have more than enough, I'll be happy which is a consumerism. And so then you amplify that with social media where anybody and everybody can create a highlight reel and act as though they are doing it. So now we, we miss, we confuse things like wealth with richness, like having access to things makes you think like you're wealthy, but you're not. You can be rich, but have nothing to your name and you rent about, you can be in debt, for example, and it looked like you're wealthy. 
you can get a bunch of plastic surgery and look like you're pretty. You can smile and look like you're happy, but we've exchanged the actual trappings. And so by doing so, when people can look like they're achieving the thing without having to really do the actual uh, show up and with the right intention and make the right choices, it's like it makes a very false presentation. So for people who've been trained that way, it's easy to just feel rejected. It's like, well, what's the point? What do I have to offer? But when you look back, and this is the value of pain, it's just like doing something because the beauty of pain is that you can't compare when you're in pain. When that, you get that first contracted thing, it's not like, it's like you just get focused. It's a very, it's very, it's why people get depressed. They get very anxious, you know, nostalgic when they get pain. It's nostalgic pain in the past, but it's like they turn inwardly. And so if you can sit with that and then like start to parse apart the emotions and see where you can take ownership of your life. And, and learn through this lesson of sensation that's contracting you're like, I think I want all this stuff, but like really the pain is pulling me here. You can start to actually learn to listen to yourself. And when you learn to listen to yourself, you actually start to pick up some type of intuitive guidance. Like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe if I try this, maybe do this. And that gets you acquainted with the thing that's interesting to you. And then to the degree that you can just continue to avoid the trap of comparison. So like Rick Rubin is a great example. Like he just, you know, he just did the thing he thought was interesting and he just wasn't going to do anything else. And, you know, this idea of temptation has been around for as long as time. Like, you know, you just kind of have to like, all right, I could do something, but like, this just seems right to me. And, you know, you, you go on this path and the hard part is that people kind of have something, but their first, the first temptation they have when they figure out something interesting is, the ego inside that says, oh, you're not going to be good enough. Or what's the point? Someone's already done it. Or, you know, you, you, you know, like there's no value. It's already saturated. Like, but the point is it doesn't matter. It doesn't like it's, if you are a world changing, like Andrew Huberman doing a podcast feels just the same as you doing a podcast. If it's both, but you like to do, if you like talking and you like interviewing people and you feel that like that, that moment, the hard part is that it's this moment of satisfaction where you're like, oh, feels really good i feel really i feel like i just feel like i'm doing the thing that's right for me i don't know what that means it just like we kind of had this like feeling of content like yeah it feels good that is exactly what it feels like whether you are the greatest podcaster in the world or just charting your first second thing it's like it does not change and for a lot of people that's tough because we've been sold this lie of like you know supplements will make you feel more than like drugs in a sense like it's not enough to just it's not enough to be yourself to be healthy a supplement's going to make you feel testosterone to go through the roof you're going to have all this energy it's all this stuff it's as though your normal 100% offering is not good enough we're going to get you to 110% no no 100% is everything you want anything more than that is a burden and really get to the point and this is like you know it's you, you see this over and over again it's like non-attachment the eastern perspective like you know people it's like really all it is is like a misunderstanding of this Eastern thing is just like, oh, well, I, you know, I shouldn't want anything. I shouldn't have any desires. And misunderstanding the Western thing, which is consumerism, which is you should want everything and be the best. It's like, no, just be you and be enough. And if we realize that enough is all you could ever really ask or hope for, then you just go and you, you may, you're okay. Just, you realize it's just as happy to tinker in your car, tinker in the garage on your own car because you like it as it is to be, I don't know, working on pimp my ride, <laughs> whatever. Like it's the same thing. It feels the same if it truly is meaningful to you. So it's everyone has a threshold, don't they? Of what, whether it be money, whether it be um, a level of fitness they want to reach. There's a there's a threshold that differs from individual to individual. Like for me, you know, I may, for example, I could be happy on very low income, whereas my next door neighbor I don't know could be happy but only be happy on a very, very high income. It's, and it's the same with, it's the same with 
like fitness as well. Like you, I'm, for example, I may be happy just going on a walk five, for 5k every day, whereas you are happy exploring movement on a daily basis. It's all individual. And it's, I think, I guess it's just, we need to realize that that's what it is. Push aside what you may see, you know, the highlight reels you see on social media. It's actually just figure out what makes you happy. Figure out what makes you tick in yeah. the morning and go and do it. doesn't matter what it is. Like for me, starting the podcast, I didn't start it, I think, for three years for the fear of judgment of what other people would say and think. And then eventually there was just one day I was like, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And I started it and... I did the f- the first one I did was terrible. Did it with a friend. It's not actually out there because I just interrupted him the whole time. I just the way I spoke wasn't right. I could have just stopped them, but I was like, no, I enjoy it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to it, figure out what I did wrong and how I can improve that. And then now I'm not the best in the world at what it at the this art of podcasting, but I enjoy it. I enjoy meeting people who I would never usually mm-hmm. meet, like yourself and learning from them and you know like afterwards i'll listen to it as i edit it and i'll take lessons from it and it's it's like and again it might that might for someone might just be getting up in the morning going for a 5k walk if that what makes you happy go and do that yeah go and do that thing. that's the beauty of it is that like there's a process it, it, the hard part is that social media is literally a in instrument of comparison so i don't actually know if there's a healthy way to use it so even though i am on social media and make content i follow very few people and i have a very small screen time like i get i physically nauseous when i'm on like i just hate it i hate everything about it i would not be on social media if i wasn't able to like make content and part of this running a business so maybe i'm contributing to the greater evil but you know the thing is it's like it's not about finding the successes you want in life it's about finding the problems you want in life and this is the you know this this quote that's been thrown around it's like all the wisdom is out in the world, by the way, already. You just need to actually act on it. But the man who loves to walk, walk further than the man who loves a destination. It's, you know, people people start a podcast because they want to feel like they think a podcaster would feel like that's super respected and famous and making a living off of it, right? That, that they, they, there's some set of things that they think, oh, people think they're smart, they're popular, they have money, they're self-assured, they're good at talking, they're, you know, they're, they're regarded with esteem and respect. So I want that. But it's like, that's that may be the thing that gets you in the door, but the people that stick are the ones that just like really enjoy the art of conversation or the art of like, you know, perfecting the sound quality, whatever. And it's like, that's the diaspora of life. Like that's the thing when you stop comparing and you start doing the thing that brings you meaning. And this is what I'm really trying to work on. is just, let's say a codifying life philosophy. Um, just looking back on some of the things that just seemed obvious to me. It's like, you just do the thing you're interested in. And minimize comparison and like use compare use social media this is i think the difference between um comparison should be a calibration tool not a validation tool and maybe not even comparison i think social media for sure so like you know well a lot of people use calibration tools as validation tools so you can imagine if your your car tire is you know low on uh air you go up and you put the tire pressure if it's a validation tool it's going to say is there air yes but what you need is how much air is there, how much should I blow it up? And so I think that's the piece where people look at comments, they look at social media, they look at these things. It's like, you know, sometimes there is really good value in getting feedback from the people. That's a calibration tool. But it does it validate? Do you let it validate validate you? Like you're using the wrong tool for the wrong job. And I think there's a lot of value. That's why I share so much on social media. It's not that like it validates that I exist or that's interesting, but it's like, does this track with other people? And I think that's something you kind of have to work your way up to because I spent 
five, six, five, six, seven years working as a coach before doing anything out there. And I had little shots where I tried to do stuff beforehand, but you know, I think you can look back and realize like when you're ready to do it, you'll stick with it. And, you know, to a certain degree, that doesn't mean that you don't have resistance now, like you still have those pains, but I think you either just get a bigger perspective for like what the cost you, you start to see the, the quote unquote dragons you built up in your mind. Like, oh, this is not really that big of a deal. Or you have an experience that just says, well, I, I just don't care anymore. I'm just going to keep doing this thing. And then eventually like you kind of just over, something changes you overcome for that. And so there's strategies, I'm sure you can do it, but I just think everybody kind of goes at their time. And that's why I look back and say, it's not so much that you need to be encouraged to do your thing. It's actually you just need to, people already have enough of this negative inhibition from the ego in their head. And if I look back, I wouldn't tell myself to go and do something. I would just encourage myself and very simply like, Hey, the thing you think you're happy about, just keep doing that. Like if the, the doubt and it's the it's the self doubt and the like insecurity that keeps you ruminating. And if you could remove that and just allow, that's why kids are a lot happier because they don't have so much stuffed out rumination. They just kind of like, They'll go and like play with the toy on the ground, and then we're not sitting there as an adult saying, "Well, that's stupid because it's just a toy and it's not going to go anywhere." You need to practice your, you know, vocabulary. It's like, it just if we could work on inhibiting others less, and I think that's what you'll never be criticized by someone who's doing better than you, meaning someone that's a little bit further on the path than you, because they get it. It's like, hey, they're doing it, and whether or not you succeed is, is if you're doing it, you've already succeeded. I know that sounds cheesy because most people that are like motivated enough to do something want to be competent in it and so we're competent and addicted so there's value in that because i think that's another idea of like getting better you want what you do to be valuable but in proportions like the ultimate thing is like people that are pretty far down the road realize like it's just a matter of starting and the lessons you'll learn even if if this is for you you'll stick with it and if it's not for you you'll learn from it but the fact is that you started you've given yourself the opportunity to get feedback and there is no failure it's just feedback and as long as you understand that feedback nothing you ever do that you really attend to will ever be wasted i think as well with doing things that maybe make you feel a bit uncomfortable when you're doing them there's always going to be success in it as long as you're putting your best into it your best may be like your your best may be different from the next person but as long as you're putting your best in to learn and to progress what you're doing, eventually I think success yeah. will come when you along say, the way. Like for me, I have no, I have no, no, no please, idea. Please. I, I'll, I'll remember it. Yeah, I was just going to say, like for me, I had no idea when it came to how to podcast really. So I just bought a microphone and just figured it out from there. And I feel like I've had some personal success in terms of building confidence to speak to individuals who I would never speak to or building the ability to have better, more meaningful conversations yeah. with people. Because I think what you just said is really good. The idea of the best, like, well, what does that mean? It's like, it doesn't necessarily mean try hard. It just means you're fully present. Like you just, you show up and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. And I'm going to like put away the distractions. I'm just going to be present and see what happens. And I think that's where you start to pay attention to things you just talked about. That's the lesson you learn. Just do your best and be present, be present. 100%. In terms of your coaching that you're still doing now, how do you apply that being present into that? The So I don't, I think that's part of it. Once my interest started to wane from like coaching per se, like working with clients every single day, I kind of started like, I, I think that's one of the reasons I've been able to kind of float between things because I kind of, I have a harder time doing things that just don't interest me. Um, so I don't really work with, I mean, there's a handful, like if I get the opportunity to work with someone, I'm very interested. I always like to teach and do that stuff, but I do find that 
I've just shifted to what really motivates me is the writing and, and thinking in a sense. So I do, you build up systems, this idea of like you build up, you, you listen to where like the first, I don't know, say friction areas are going to be like, I don't like this is something I don't necessarily see myself doing in 10 years or five years. And you start to build systems or get help to manage those pieces so that you kind of buy your time back. And so process is always building a business. You buy your time back, build a business, buy your time back. And eventually you isolate down the things that you're just really well suited to do. Um, and so within that, there's, I don't necessarily do a lot of hands-on work with people. Like I still am happy to do that, but it just doesn't bring, I just, it's not something I bring my best to. So that's why I just don't offer it anymore. And so like what I really care about is thinking like, how can I learn something and then communicate? And that's a lot of times writing, thinking, codifying thought, putting it out into a meaningful way of uh communicating with people and then starting to look at like some of the bigger problems and just say, all right, how do we start to break down these things? Like, Oh, I'm comparing and do this stuff. Like, how do you put this into a meaningful step? Because it's not a loss of information. I think it's a loss of being able to communicate that, that I think really plagues us now. And so, you know, when it gets to coaching, I'm very happy, but it really, you just realize like I'm just not interested in talking to someone that's not interested in learning. And I think that's where you started. Like, I don't care yeah. how much money you're going to pay me. It's like, if you're not interested in this thing and I'm just talking to you just because you pay me, like I'm not babysitting. And I think that's the hard part. Most coaches get burnt out, but they don't build a system on the front end. I struggled with that aspect of coaching. So I used to work like in a private gym and I struggled with that aspect of coaching slightly where you would get a client and straight away you knew they just weren't, they couldn't give less of a shit. They, they just think if they pay a coach, that they're going to achieve a goal. It's like, well, you're not ready to achieve the goal because you don't want to put the effort or the time into it. And I really struggled with the intentions of it, especially for myself. Like, I like I, I need the money, but really, I, I just was like, I don't want to coach that person. It was such a hard thing for me to deal with when I was yeah. when I was working in that. Gym. I remember, like, I was I was when I was really focused on getting as many clients and doing that stuff. That was not my focus. My focus was like. I think in some sense you either are interested in the client or you're interested in the process of what you're learning along the way. So like something will motivate you to do all the, like the, the grinding, so to speak, like the, the, the things you look back like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how I did that. Like something X outside of that thing will motivate you to do that thing. So it's not like, how do you go back and work with clients? That don't like it. It's not like anyone likes that, but there's some other thing that they're focused on gaining and learning. So I think the process is like when you don't have something else that, when you don't have like if as the season changes and you have something that shifts or you have a new opportunity, it's like you have to let go of these old things, even if that means like old ways of making money, old ways of like, you know, distracting yourself. There's a lot of things that, you know, go through seasons of life. Yeah. You said as well, like you've obviously you've transitioned slightly from just coaching for the sake of coaching. Now you like you like to work with people who interest you or are really interested in what it is. So what are your goals moving forward in terms of not just personal, but like business goals? Um, I've been working for about four years on this process of um, building these these four programs, really. It's like one for the foot, ankle, lower leg, one for the hip, pelvic floor, spine, one for the shoulders, upper body. Really, those three work together as like an introduction to the body, how to like basically get people calibrated with how a baseline of like third grade education for their body and then there's this fourth one, which is really like the ability to come together, be an athlete, but it's a lot more the self-development stuff, which is what I'm finishing writing the book on now. So hence why I'm thinking about it a lot. But the idea is like, 
it's a six month journey where I could take someone who's just really disconnected. They don't even know how to move their feet, but they know something's wrong to all the way up to like, they can now run and have the mental capacity to, and confidence to pursue something that's interesting to them. Cause that's the thing is like, it's just not about like getting out of pain. It's like, there's a, so that you can what, so that you can be you and like commit and contribute and be a good citizen and like be meaningful in the world. And so that's something I think is interesting to me as a problem to solve. And so a lot of that goes like I've written the books behind the, the programs, have the programs just constantly working, getting people to go through that. So continuing to provide a better, like I'm still learning things about the body, still learning how to uh, like get tissue moving and like communicate. But, you know, in some senses, like it feels like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this thing, but like this, yeah, there's a little like on occasion, I just think like, well, what's the, how do I know this is ever going to work out in a sense? Like I'm just making content that hopefully the platform still stays around. Hopefully people think I'm interesting. It's like other times I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I totally got this capacity. I can manage this and uniquely called for it or whatever you want to say. So, you know, from a business perspective, it's just continuing to make enough money to buy myself freedom to pursue the thing I find interesting. I think that's really the, the baseline. Um, doesn't have to be more than that. And uh, you know, money is a nice proxy because like the more people, the more money I make, it means the more people I'm helping based off of the way I've set up this the structure. But um, ultimately it's like the money that flows in is an opportunity to buy back my time or to better, you know, better provide a solution for the customer, make the program better. So that's the current focus right now, just an obsession over the product, which is really just the ability to transmute hope into faith and just gives them someone trust in their own body back again. Um, but long-term it's like, being able to communicate things better, uh, figure out where I'm wrong, figure out where I can grow. Uh, you know, th that's just the constant growth in a sense, because ultimately really what I want to do is just be able to play games, play sports, run around, have fun, work out, eat really good food. Like that's what I really love. Um, and so every time I come up on a roadblock that prevents me from doing that, I then kind of like figure out what's going on and then write it down, add to the programs. And so like, that's really what it is. It's just, me trying to figure out how to be athletic so I can play games and run around and not be fat and eat good food. That's it, you know. Is this sort of coaching slash, you know, this online role that you're doing now, is this something that you want to do forever or are you thinking of like other avenues that you may want to go into in the future? Um, You know, part of what's gotten me to where I am is not really knowing where the future lies in a sense. Uh, I do value. There's a part of me that likes the ability to get feedback from people. Like I can create something and share something. I think that's interesting. Um, and I really enjoy that. So I think my personality is uniquely suited for social media. And because I don't really use it that much as a, like, I don't get kind of like caught up into the, I'm oblivious to stuff. I don't watch the news. I don't like scroll. I don't do a lot of that stuff. So like, I don't get caught up in this, like, brain suck um and right now it's the best i think as ai continues to expand the thing that's going to be most valuable is the ability to prove that you're a human and you have a brand that someone could trust so i think that's like the best thing more so than like any other retirement plan is just being able to make sure that you have a trust with people um i don't know what that looks like from a, a bigger perspective um you know, I don't foresee myself not enjoying movement and exercising, so that'll always be there. Uh, and I think, you know, in so, in so much as I can continue to help people with this, like, basic orientation, I could see the temptation if, like, you continue to grow in celebrity and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're a cult leader. You're all this, like, no, I don't want any of that. But um, I think being, staying humble, staying in the fact, like, you're, you know, just an average guy, just trying to get a little more 
athletic and sharing that with people. I think that's, that's the process that keeps me grounded. Then eventually it's like, you know, there's other things in life. Like there's, you have family, you have a partner, you have kids, you do all these things that like, they take up a lot of time. So like just really in, investing and engaging in that season of life. And then, you know, uh, taking things a piece at a time. And I like the idea of like learning something, comprehending it and sharing it. That will probably always be a part of how I process things. And, you know, there's, uh, it's not, I'm not the one that's going to save the world. It's not my job. Uh, that's going to take a whole lot of people working together. And, you know, I think also assuming the world isn't already doing good enough by itself, but, you know, it's like the idea of just helping people and improving things a little by little, but it's like, that's, if I can play a role in inspiring people to do that, then that's, that's fantastic. But, you know, I don't have illusions of grandeur that I'm going to, part of me uh, in the back of my head, it's like, oh, it could be all fancy, but it's like, that falls in the category of more than enough. Like, oh, I just need enough money, enough time, enough love, enough happiness, enough uh, adventure. And that's satiating. That's enough right there. It's like more than enough just becomes a burden. Let's just say that. And I don't want, <laughs> I don't want burdens that don't, I don't want burdens that don't fall in the set of problems that I'm interested in dealing with. Yeah. The So obviously like you've built a, fo- you've built a following, you've built a social media platform. What are the, what are the, good things that have come out of that for you? Oh, like everything. I mean, the ability to sell my gym and move to this, move across the country to go hang around. Uh, this pretty cool place where there's very smart people that come in and out to the podcast here. And uh, that's good. The fact that I can set my own schedule and work um, as I see fit or, you know, write and pursue my own curiosities on my own uh, timeline. Um, the ability to earn an income. Well, and it's not social media. In some social media, like allows me to flip people to a business. So like the business is built before the social media happened. So um, really started in that sense. It's kind of a step-by-step thing. But, you know, and I think just the, the connection of people, like there's just the amount of people I've gotten to meet in this last year and a half, two years is unprecedented. I, I, in my life, I would not have thought some of the people I'm hanging out with, working out with were like heroes of mine growing up. So, you know, I think it's, it's a great equalizer. And I think that's really valuable um, just as a, uh, an externality of uh, being able to have some following on Instagram or whatever, which is also another interesting thing in and of itself. Um, I'll just ask you one final question because I feel like I've taken more than enough of your time. It once everything's all said and done, how would you like to be remembered? That's a good question. Um, I it probably will circle along the lines of like you know, the idea of like someone that really searched for the truth, that, that cared, um, genuine, said what he meant, meant what he said, like clear, like, uh, like in a sense, I think there's a, the idea that like being, you know, that the people who knew me knew that like there was a, a level of genuineness in a sense, like not misunderstood. I don't know, I was thinking about this last night. It's like, I, what I don't want to be is misunderstood. It's, and I, I think I really value being understood, which is why I spend so much time trying to like figure out and be intellectually correct so that I don't get, you know, I'm not wrong and I'm misunderstood. But, you know, I think genuinely it's like what I really would want people to consider me is that like I didn't lie. I was straightforward. I cared. I think that's the thing. It's just that I cared. Probably. I have to figure out. I need to distill that. But that's, that's the kind of stuff I think you think about in legacy because it's like, that last portion, you're sort of really like, what, what's, what did I do? Because right now I'm still in the middle of it all. I can't tell. But at the very least, it's like, I just want to be, people know, it's like, hey, I'm 
you know, there's something I care and I'm here and I'm a real person too. Something like that. I'll figure that out. I'll figure out a better answer to that every time. <laughs> so where can people find your stuff and how can people support you? Uh, it's all the barefoot sprinter, um, at, at the barefoot sprinter on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and the website, just the gramtitle.com, but I'll probably figure that out at some point too. Um, but for now it's a, if you know, the best way you support me is by, uh, endeavoring to become the best version of yourself and be, you know, be present and find things that are interesting to you. But if you want help with that, I've got a, uh, you know, I always start with people that if you're in pain, you want to work on getting better connected with your body, then, you know, get a process that's, uh, you know, start anywhere, start for a dollar, um, fix your feet, ankles, lower legs, or fix your pelvic floor, hip, spine, or fix your upper body. Just work on that. And, you know, you can find that, just reach out on Instagram or TikTok, and there's a link in bio for all that stuff. But you can message me. Um, that's going to be the best way. But, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, the best way you could support me is by, believing yourself enough to start to invest in getting healthier, getting stronger, getting better. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Graham. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed both part one and two with Graham Tuttle. I had a really great conversation with him in the full two hours that I was sat down with him. You know, we spoke for an hour and 50 odd um, recorded, but we spoke, I think, for a solid two and a half hours, um, including time off camera. And it, Graham's just a really genuine, nice person. And, you know, I wish him all the best. And if you want to check out Graham's stuff, make sure to check out the link in the description. And also remember to subscribe, like, and share the podcast with whoever may be interested. I will see you next Monday at 6 a.m. GMT and 5 p.m. Australian Eastern time for another episode. And this next one, I think you'll find interesting.